0: Tonight we're going to begin in Luke chapter 1, title of Hope, and I chose that title because as you look at, as we study the book of Luke together, I want you to see even the attitude as he begins. We read, for as much as many have taken in hand to set forth in order a declaration of those things which are most surely believed among us, even as they delivered them unto us, which from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word, it seemed good to me also, having, a perfect, having had perfect understanding of all things from the very first, to write unto thee in order, o most, o most excellent Theophilus, that thou mightest know the certainty of those things wherein thou hast been instructed. Luke is not mentioned by name very many times in the scriptures, just a few times. But what I want you to notice is Luke describes why he has written this. And if you look, if, if we would have been doing this sheet together, you'd look at the first question. According to Luke, why did he write this book? And I want you to notice there are a couple of clues here. I believe the man he calls Theophilus, which I don't believe was his name. It's a, it's a description of the man. I believe the man was already a believer. Um, He talks about it being things which most surely are believed among us in verse one. He talks about us as if this man is part of that. And then he says, he talks about the things that the man has already been instructed in in verse four. And to me, one of the key words is the word theophilus. Theos, God, phileo, meaning love. Here's a man who is a lover of God. And therefore, as we begin this, he is writing this to help strengthen this man's faith. He's writing this, and we're going to see he's going to do the same thing in the book of Acts, as he then will write again to this man and explain the things that are going on. But I mention that because I think it's important. He wanted this man to have confidence in his faith. He wanted this man to know that the things he had been told are credible and the things that we believe are credible. And I think that's very important that we remember it is not a blind leap of faith where we just say, well, I believe, but I have no idea why. We believe because what we believe is credible. It's easy to go back and to say, yes, because of this and because of this and because of this, we know for certain what we believe is true. You can't go back and you can't recreate it. But the witness accounts, the things that we're told, are credible. Now I want us to begin this evening looking at what were the days like. Beginning at verse 5. There was in the days of Herod the king of Judea a certain priest named Zacharias of the course of Abiah, and his wife was of the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. We kind of zip over that pretty quickly, but notice at the beginning of that verse, there was in the days of Herod, the king of Judea. Herod was a very interesting man. He had 10 wives. He killed at least one of them we know of. It was a very wicked time. Um, I did not bring the family tree chart because I didn't know how to put it up on the screen, but the family tree of Herod is very interesting. It is all a family tree of murderers. And the family is all interconnected to where they were very jealous of each other. And um, this is the Herod that killed Jesus. And then um, if we could see the family tree, you would begin to see we have a lot of intermarrying of cousins, of daughters to uh, fathers or daughter or uncle and, and niece, you'll see a lot of odd things happening. And when we, when we look at that family, it was a very dysfunctional family, but a very mean family, and that was the environment in which they lived. And so when he begins and he talks about, he says, there was in the days of Herod the king, he then goes on to describe, there was this man named Zacharias. And what I want you to notice is even in the darkest of times, God uses people who are available to him for use. Look at verses 5 through 7 and I want you to look for things that we learn about John's parents, Zacharias and Elizabeth. Notice, they were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord, blameless. They had no children because that Elizabeth was barren, and they were both now well stricken in years. So as you look at the text, what are some things that we learn about these people that love the Lord, people that were involved in serving the Lord? What are some key characteristics that you see there? Yes? They didn't, have any they didn't have any children. What else do you see in the scriptures? <clears throat> they, were old. they were old. What else? Elizabeth was barren. Pardon? Elizabeth was, barren. Elizabeth was barren. It appears that the scriptures are telling us that the problem... Was something with Elizabeth. She wasn't able to have children. What else do we see here in the passage? They obeyed God's commandments. Concerning God's commandments and concerning God's ordinances, how did Luke describe them? They were, they were blameless. All right, so what else do we learn about them in the, from this passage? How did God view them? God viewed him as righteous. Now, they weren't sinless. But what I want you to notice is in the middle of this backdrop of a very wicked time, in the middle of a difficult time of Roman occupation, the middle of a time when the response to what was happening was, we had a lot of what they called zealots, people that were almost. Well, it was like, it was was an internal guerrilla warfare where people were trying to overthrow the Romans. During all this time, you've got this unique older couple who have just been faithful. And they have just done what they should do in the midst of everything else that was going on. Now, let's let's keep reading, and we read there and it came to pass that while he executed the priest's office before God in the order of his course according to the custom of the priest's office his lot was to burn incense when he went into the temple of the Lord now the background to that is at this point there were many priests it wasn't that they got to do this often this was his once in a lifetime chance And they would serve, but to actually go in and light the incense where he would go into the holy place. When he went in, it was was a very fearful time. It was a time when people were outside praying and they were waiting for the priest to come back out and pronounce his blessing on them. And he went into the holy place this one time. We don't know exactly what time it was, Most commentators think he was doing the second time of the day, which would have been like about three in the afternoon. And he went in, and as he went in to pray, and as he went in to offer in behalf of the people these prayers, verse 11 says, There appeared unto him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zacharias saw him, he was troubled, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said unto him, Fear not, Zacharias, for thy prayer is heard, and thy wife Elizabeth shall bear thee a son, and thou shalt call his name John, and thou shalt have joy and gladness, and many shall rejoice at his birth. For he shall be great in the sight of the Lord, and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink, and he shall be filled with the Holy Ghost, even from his mother's womb. And many of the children of Israel shall turn to the Lord their God, And he shall go before him in the spirit and power of Elias to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. For what had John's parents been praying? They wanted a son. And that was a burden of their heart, and it appears they've been praying for a very long time. You know, sometimes we have prayer requests that we have wanted and wanted, and the Lord has not seen fit to answer those yet. There is no, there's no statement here that, that gives the impression that God was tired of them doing that or that God was disappointed with them doing that. But the angel came and he said, your prayers have been heard. Now, what did Zacharias ask for in verses 18 through 25, which seems a little odd? And Zacharias said unto the angel, whereby shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife shall be stricken in years. Now, what would you think if an angel is standing there What would you think he would do when he's told this? He would be excited. Yet notice what happens here. Zacharias asks for a sign. And the angel, what am I, chopped liver? (laughs) The angel says, okay. And what does the angel, the angel says, I am Gabriel. And I stand in the presence of God and I'm sent to speak unto thee and to show thee these glad tidings. uh, Gabriel says, I'm your son. I want you to notice he was not only a faithful priest but he was also a fearful priest. He was struggling. So what does God say the sign will be? Behold, thou shalt be dumb and not be able to speak until the day that these things shall be performed because thou believest not my words, which shall be fulfilled in their season. I'm going to pause there for just a moment. And I want you to look over at verse 62. And I don't know what to make of this other than it's possible he was not only, he not only became mute, but it's possible he became deaf as well. Notice in verse 62, and they made signs to his father what, what he would have called him. I don't know for certain why they would have had to have made signs to him unless he was deaf at this point as well. I don't know for certain. It's just an interesting observation. Um, but as you look at it, you begin to see, you know, here is a man who God is gonna use. And you look at some characteristics of people that God used and they're usually people that are doing their best to just be involved serving the Lord. So what happens? we have got a guy named Moses. When did God speak to Moses? Now he wasn't in Egypt at this point. He was out in the wilderness, but he was taking care of the sheep. He was doing what he should do. God spoke to David the same way. In this same way, we find there was a man, he wanted children, he wanted to see the Messiah. He was longing for things to change in his life. But the one thing that we see, he just stayed faithful to what he was supposed to be doing. And as you get a start here, with Luke describing to Theophilus, he's telling him, God just uses faithful people. We're going to see the same thing with Mary in just a little bit. God just uses faithful people. Not necessarily special people, not necessarily well-known people, just faithful people. Let's move on. Beginning at verse 26, notice who Gabriel visited next. And in the sixth month, The angel Gabriel was sent from God unto the city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin espoused to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David and the virgin's name was Mary. Mary was from the tribe of Judah. Mary though was from Galilee, from Nazareth. You know, sometimes there are sections of town that people look down on other people being from. The people from Jerusalem looked down on the people from Nazareth. Nazareth was too close to the uh, to the Gentiles. was too close to those to the Samaritans, who would have been of a mixed group. And there was such a response that Mary was someone who they would have looked down on. And yet you notice when the angel comes to, uh, to Mary, verse 28, she said, the angel says to Mary, Hail, thou that art highly favored. The Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. The next question we're going to look for is why did God choose Mary and how did Mary respond to the angel? Well, notice what it says here. And when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying and cast in her mind what manner of salutation this should be. And the angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb and bring forth a son and shalt call his name Jesus. Why did God choose Mary. Verse 28 tells us she was highly favored. Verse 30 tells us you have found favor with God. The word favor there I thought was interesting. It's the word grace. You found grace with God. Her response was she was very troubled. But I also want you to notice her response. I'm going to keep reading. But when we come to verse 38, notice her response. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb, and shalt bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus. He shall be great, and shall be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord shall give unto him the throne of his father David. And he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there shall be no end. Then said Mary unto the angel, How shall this be? seeing I know not a man. Some have said, in fact, when Jesus, later in his life, when he's talking to, um, I believe it was the Pharisees, and Jesus asked them a question, they said, why would you talk to us that way, in that you're the, the illegitimate one? And people would say, well, Mary didn't keep herself pure. But notice Mary's response. How can I have a child, seeing I have kept myself pure, seeing I've never been involved with someone else, seeing I know not a man? And then the angel describes unto her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. And behold, thy cousin Elizabeth, she hath also conceived a son in her old age. And this is the sixth month with her who is called barren. For with God, nothing shall be impossible. We find faith. How Mary is choosing to say, okay, Lord, if this is what you're saying is going to take place, how can this take place? I've been faithful, I've kept myself pure. And the angel describes for her how this is going to take place. Mary's surprise. she says, how could this thing be? But then notice her humility. Mary is not thinking, well, of course I would be the one that God would use. Mary was surprised that she would be used. I just pull aside for just a moment. And remember, as Luke is describing to Theophilus, a guy who loved God, Luke is is not berating him for not having the right kind of faith. Luke is, in fact, saying, let me tell you how God is going to do things. Let me tell you how God did work to strengthen faith. And you notice in this passage with Zacharias, rather than being angry with the man, God gave an explanation to him and said, this is how it's going to work. When Mary questioned, how is God going to do this? Rather than rebuking her, the angel said, let me explain to you how this will come about. I want you to notice the compassion of God. And as you look at the characteristic of Luke, as he's gonna describe Jesus Christ um, as one who loved. He's gonna describe Jesus Christ as one who came to seek and to save. He's giving us an idea of what it means to be compassionate. We're going to see a lot of people in our lives who, for whatever reason, don't get it. And he's going to teach us the attitude we should have of being humble and being usable in God's hands. Mary's response in verse 38. Behold, here, the handmaid of the Lord, be it unto me according to thy word, and the angel departed stop and think for a moment if you have if you have kept yourself pure and you are now going to be expecting and you're engaged what do you think is going to take place to you at the very best could you say you're going to be misunderstood And Mary knew that. And the character of Mary is, she says, okay, Lord, use me as you see fit. As as we look forward to the common passages that we know in chapter 2, and forward as we begin looking at Jesus being presented as one who came to be among us as the Son of Man so that we could get to know God, What I want you to see is each of these people just had to say, Lord, how do you want to use me? Now, Elizabeth was excited, but Elizabeth became somewhat of a curiosity as she was now expecting and was well beyond bearing years. In fact, the scripture kind of gives us this idea that finally Elizabeth didn't go out in public anymore because everyone was just kind of going. For Elizabeth, it was a joyful time, yet a little uncomfortable. For Mary, it was a joyful time. They a little uncomfortable. And yet the response was, Lord, use me any way you want. I just want to encourage you. I don't know how God is going to use each of us, but I do know he saved us on purpose. God wants to use us. And you're never going to be in the best of times. We just have to say, Lord, Use us any way that you want to use us. And we see Mary's surrender. Verse 39, we read, And Mary arose and went into the hill country with haste into the city of Judah and entered into the house of Zacharias and saluted Elizabeth. All right, now we know it is, uh, Elizabeth is in her sixth month. We didn't, I think I skipped over that passage there. Elizabeth is now in her sixth month. Mary goes to be with her for three months. That's what the text is going to tell us. And notice in verse 43, when we come to it, look for what does Elizabeth call Mary. And Mary entered into the house of Zacharias and saluted Elizabeth. And it came to pass when Elizabeth heard the salutation of Mary, the babe leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Ghost. It's very possible it's at that point that John was filled with the Holy Ghost. That might have been the time when he came. And she spake out with a loud voice and said, Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb. And whence is this to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? What does Elizabeth call Mary? Notice, the mother of my Lord. She does not give any redemptive power to Mary. She doesn't say, Mary is the redeemer. She says, no, it's the mother of my Lord. And then look a little bit further. For lo, as soon as the voice of thy salutation sounded in my ears, the babe leaped in my womb for joy And blessed is she that believed, for there shall be a performance of those things which were told her from the Lord. I don't know how how Elizabeth could have known, except the angel told her that Mary was going to be expecting. And when Mary came in, Elizabeth said, everything that God has said is going to be performed in you. And Mary said, my soul doth magnify the Lord, and my spirit hath rejoiced in, notice what it says, God, my Savior. Again, you know there are, there are some that in trying to show honor to Mary, they have elevated Mary to a position that she was not. Mary says, I rejoice in God, my Savior. What does that tell you Mary was a sinner, Mary needed a Savior? When you look at the, at the doctrines that were being taught in this narrative, we're learning that God chose to come. That God chose to come in a virgin because it had to be, our savior had to be sinless. God chose to use a human being named Mary who was not sinless. And we're gonna see as we go through this text, not tonight, but as we go through Luke, she was not a perpetual virgin. She was a mother. Um, some would look at this and say, well, you know, how old was Mary? How old was Joseph? And the reality is we don't know. Um, some traditions, and I don't believe this is true, in fact, it wasn't until I believe the 150 or 200s, the first time this was written. Some said, well, Joseph was a a very old man who from a previous marriage had multiple children. And the only reason why they would be saying that is to try to perpetuate her virginity and try to perpetuate the fact that Mary is somehow used by God as an intermediary. Jesus Christ is the only intermediary. We don't pray to Mary. We only pray to Jesus Christ. So as you look at the text here, Mary surrendered, and Mary said, this is going to be, um, I rejoice in the fact that I'm going to have my Savior. Verse 48, for he hath regarded the low estate of his handmaiden. The term here, handmaiden, has the idea of a low slave, someone who was just a house slave. For behold, from henceforth all generations shall call me blessed. And we should rejoice for Mary that God used her greatly but we just shouldn't elevate her to a position of something other than a lady who needed to be redeemed. For he had, Verse 49, For he hath done uh, to me great things, and holy is his name, and his mercy is on them that fear him from generation to generation. He hath showed strength with his arm, he hath scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts, he hath put down the mighty from their seats and exalted them to low degree and exalted them of low degree, he hath filled the hungry with good things, and the rich hath he sent away empty away, and hath helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, as he spake to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his seed forever, and Mary abode with her about three months, and returned to her own house. Now Elizabeth's full time came that she should be delivered, and she brought forth a son. So we see that Mary stayed just about until the delivery. There was great joy with Elizabeth. There was great joy for Mary. And I want us to come now to the to the very end. And I want to skip ahead to the things that John, the things that Zacharias says. Um Let's begin at verse 60. Uh, He's now at the eighth day. He's been born. He's at the eighth day. And his mother answered and said, Not so, but he shall be called John. They wanted to call him Zacharias. And they said unto her, There is none of thy kindred that is called by by this name. And they made signs to his father how how he would have him called. And he asked for a writing table and wrote saying, His name is John. And they all marveled, and his mouth was opened immediately, and his tongue loosed. And he spake and praised God, and fear came on all that dwelt uh, round about them. And all these sayings were noised abroad throughout all the hill country of Judea. And all they that heard them laid them up in their hearts, saying, What manner of child shall this be? And the hand of the Lord was with him. And his father Zacharias was filled with the Holy Ghost, and prophesied, saying, I want you to notice, as we look, what good news did the birth of John foretell? Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he hath visited and redeemed his people, and hath raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. He hath spake by the mouth of his holy prophets, which have been since the world began, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all that hate us, to perform the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his, covenant, his holy covenant, the oath which he swore to our father Abraham, that he would grant unto us that we being delivered out of the hand of our enemies might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all the days of our life. What I want you to notice, what did Zacharias say the birth of John was foretelling? He was saying it would foretell that God was going to redeem his people. John's birth would foretell that God was going to protect his people. And we see the purpose of redemption. Look at verses 74 and 75. That he would grant unto us that we being delivered out of the hand of our enemies might serve him without fear in holiness And righteousness before him all the days of our life. Isn't it interesting? Zacharias said the reason why God was going to redeem was so that they might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness. You know, that's the way it is for us tonight. Jesus has redeemed us. We do not need to fear. But he saved us on purpose. He saved us that we might serve him in holiness and righteousness. Now that's not an arm twist of saying, you've got to do this. That is saying, Jesus Christ came and he liberated us so that we can do this. We don't have to live under the bondage of sin anymore. And Zacharias was pointing ahead and saying, the birth of this forerunner who was promised is also the birth that that reminds us that there's deliverance coming. You notice the compassion? As you look through this, there is not a meanness, there is a hope that's given to us as we look through this. Everything in Mary's life was turned upside down, but it was really right side up. Because now Mary could say, I'm here, Lord, use me. Zacharias was saying, Lord, Elizabeth and I are here, use us. And when John came, they looked at John and they said, John is the one who is pointing the way. And look at all that's going to take place. Um, Verse 77. To give knowledge of salvation unto his people by the remission of their sins through the tender mercy of our God whereby the day spring from on high hath visited us to give light to them that sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet in the way of peace. John would foretell the knowledge of salvation, the knowledge of the mercy of God. John would foretell that there is a right coming, and John would say there's going to be guidance for peace. As we approach Christmas, and we focus rightly on the Lord Jesus Christ, it's fun to look back and see God used normal people. Average people. People that weren't necessarily the movers and shakers, according to the community. A, girl, a, a little girl, a young lady who came from a section that people would have said, well, you're not in the upper crust. To use a person that had to be misunderstood, But it was so important because Isaiah had prophesied a virgin is going to conceive and bear a son.